Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, through some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born. He appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was also not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. From Mark, the 16th chapter, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to, another, to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed, but he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. If you're reading the scripture for this morning from Mark, likely your Bible has a little explanation, and then it goes on from 9 on to verse 20. That explanation says something to the effect that early manuscripts do not have this ending. In fact, there's, there's at least four different endings to some of the earliest manuscripts we have of Mark's. And the earliest one ends it right where we ended it today, where they fled from the tomb for fear and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And then it ended. Very strange ending to Mark. And some, some have suggested that perhaps Mark had intended to come back and put a good ending on it. I do this to my sermons sometimes. Walk away for a little while and come back and try to wrap it up. Uh, uh, but uh, 
needless to say, whatever the case may be, um, uh, he left. He might. The earliest manuscripts don't have anything after that. Uh, one of the codices has a big space, as if he were getting ready to to write on that, but uh, it never gets finished. And Mark is kind of an unorthodox. Uh, gospel anyway. It's, it's written kind of strangely, so it wouldn't surprise me if Mark wanted to leave it uh, unfinished on, on this very strange note. And like many people, I have to admit that I'm uncomfortable with an unresolved ending like this. Like a song that doesn't end on that main note. You know, America used to do this a lot. Remember those America songs that would end on the funny note and you kind of go, ah. Where's the rest of it? <laughs> you know, you need some kind of resolution to the note. Or, or uh, a parable. Jesus does this all the time. Parables that end with an unanswered question. Uh, you know, why don't we answer those questions would be helpful. It's as if something is missing. Uh, in fact, so uncomfortable was it that if Mark actually did end it where we ended it today, it was so uncomfortable that almost from the very beginning people started writing their own ending, going, and then, and then everyone rejoiced and Jesus was preached throughout the world. Or, or if you go through 9 through 20, there's a, there's a nice ending there that someone felt compelled to put in uh, in order to wrap it up because it was very uncomfortable ending in terror and amazement. Many scholars have suggested, though, that ending it here with the disciples in silence and amazed leaves the story unfinished. Thus, the story continues on for us to experience and go on not ending. As if there really is no ending, but that the story of Christ continues. And that's certainly our experience. Amen? Oh, you, it's Easter. You can do a better amen than that. Amen. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> Others have said that this abrupt ending is an invitation to go back and reread Mark again, this time in the light of the resurrection and with a whole new understanding. Read it again as the first sentence reads, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. As if the whole story was merely a beginning. As if tacked on the end is the restart. And thus it is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ right at Christ's resurrection. I kind of like that one. And yet I think this discomfort we feel, even with all of that, is intentional. I think Mark intends for us to be a little uncomfortable at the ending of the Gospel because as much as we look forward to the celebration of the resurrection, our own rebirth into new life is filled with much discomfort, much anxiousness. If you were like me, when faced with the empty tomb and the revelation of, and, and the reverberation of Jesus' call to come follow me, I find myself in the place of the disciples, seized with terror and amazement. The words used here are actually would be better translated differently. The words in Greek suggest something else. Traumos and ecstasies, which would be better translated trauma and ecstasy. Finding the disciples and myself seized with trauma and ecstasy. The disciples, men and women, seized with joy and fear all at the same time. Jesus is risen. But what does that mean? What do I do with that now? 
you can almost see the minds of the disciples going, now what does it all mean? What do I make of this empty tomb in front of us? And today, like the ending of Mark, that question hangs there before us as well. What does it mean that Jesus is risen? I was recently talking with a a friend about the meaning of the cross. And the Bible really offers us several different ways to understand the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the one that resonated with me today as I understood, as I read this text, is understanding the cross and the resurrection as a revelation of the way. Jesus' death and resurrection becomes the metaphor for the spiritual process that lies at the heart of the Christian path. The ways of death and resurrection is the way of the Christian. Amen? Paul claims that metaphor for himself, saying, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the Gospels, Jesus also tells us, take up your cross and follow me. And what Jesus is conveying is, is this, is that, is that to follow Jesus is to follow Him in a path of death and resurrection. Good Friday and Easter. The old way of being, being born into a new way of being. Being followers of the way means there is a path to wholeness, a path to rebirth, a path to transformation and reconnection and recreation. It means for us that we are not stuck in our brokenness. We've been talking, as I said earlier, we've been talking about brokenness and our own brokenness, the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of the people in our lives. And we are not, what it means is that we are not stuck in our own brokenness, but we are invited to amending on Easter morning. Today we celebrate that our brokenness is not the end of the story. Through Easter, we are invited to put our brokenness behind us and to be reborn into wholeness. Amen? Today, we are invited to be mended of the brokenness that we have brought on ourselves, our own sinfulness, the own, all the mistakes we make. And we got to admit it, we make mistakes. I do. I know, no, I know it's hard to believe, but I really do. I make a few mistakes. All have sinned and fall short of the grace of God. So many of us get stuck here though, feeling as though we are the sum of our mistakes and our shortcomings, feeling as though we have fallen short of deserving God's love, of deserving God's grace, of deserving the new life that Jesus promised us. So many of us feel like we don't deserve it. We are not worthy. Sure, we do selfish and hurtful things. We do things that we need to make right. We do things that hurt others and things that hurt ourselves, but we can't let that be where it stops. Just as Jesus' death was not the end, our shortcomings are not the final story on who we are either. Amen. 
Jesus invites us to follow the way of death into new life. Die to those things which we have done and be resurrected into new life. A life where you can learn from your mistakes. A life where you can reconcile the relationships that have been broken through our own sin. A life where you strive with God's strength, not your own, to live differently from now on. A life where becoming who you know you want to be is possible because you know the depth of God's love for you through Christ. And in the light of that, of how much God loves you, how can you say you're not worthy? In the light of how much God loves you, how can you see yourself as undeserving? Knock it off. Hear the word of grace today. Today we're invited to amending, to be mended of our brokenness that we experience at the hands of others. The things that have been done to us. So many of us have been hurt. So many of us have been wounded. So many of us have been deceived and used. I know the, there is pain in this room. There is pain in this room. And it's taking years to heal. So many of us have been abused or told that we are unlovable and unloved. But to stay in this place is to be abused again and again and again and to be victimized over and over. Jesus invites us to follow the way of death into new life. Die to those things that have been done to us and resurrected into a new and empowered life. A life where the hurts of yesterday do not interfere with the joys of tomorrow. Amen. A life where we are not the victim anymore, but empowered to boldly take charge of our own life. A life where we finally feel that we are worthy of decent treatment and worthy of treating others in the way we expect to be treated. Hey, that sounds familiar. Do unto others as we would have them do unto us. A life where we can forgive. It's so hard to forgive sometimes. A life where we can forgive and move on. Even if forgiveness means never being in a relationship with an abusive person again. I run into this a lot. People come to me and say, do I have to forgive the person who raped me? Do I have to forgive the person who abused me over and over again? And I say, well... Call it what you like, but you need to come to a place where that person no longer continues to rape you, no longer continues to abuse you. And maybe that means never being in a place where they can do that again. That has its own form of forgiveness and reconciliation to say, I am never going to be in your presence again, and thus you will not take your sin out on me. Sometimes that's what forgiveness looks like, but it means taking that burden off of you so that you can live a full and abundant life as Jesus promises us. A life that recognizes that God has been telling you that you are loved and you deserve to be loved. Today we're invited to be mended of our brokenness as we look at the world and wonder where is the hope. The hope is in this invitation into death and new life. It means that the evil and the despair that we see running so rampant in the world is not, again, not the end of the story. 
It means that we are empowered to bring new life not only on ourselves but into this world. Seeking justice for those who are pushed to the side. Caring for our planet as a gift of God. Looking for new neighbors to love as ourselves. Being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Touching the leper. Giving sight to the blind. Opening the ears of the deaf. Standing against the principalities and powers of this world. Because we are children of the next world. Amen? Answering our calling to compassion for all people and taking up our cross daily knowing that every day is filled with moments that feel like Good Friday but that Easter is always there. Easter is always there. With terror and amazement. With trauma and ecstasy. We are invited no, we are called to be on a path of death and of resurrection. In the words of the author of Hebrews, if you have heard God's voice today, do not harden your hearts, but boldly embrace the way. You know, earliest Christians were called people of the way. Boldly embrace the way. Dying to our old selves. Dying to our own rebelliousness. Dying to the hurts inflicted on us. Dying to the hopelessness of this world. And being born into new life. Resurrected life. Life filled with love and compassion and communion with God and with others. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, on this Resurrection Day, we come to You with joy. We come to You with our fear and our trembling. We come to You with our deepest fears. And we give them over to You, knowing that Yours is a path that leads to love, to hope, to joy, to wholeness, to health, and to fulfillment like we can never imagine. Help us each day to be on this path, dying to the old selves, dying to the things that keep us from You and from becoming and living into that new creation You have created us to be. We ask all of these things in the risen Christ. Amen.